0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. I just want to, for those of you that don't know Lee, Lee and Hans, I don't know if Hans is here or if he's babysitting, they joined our church in January, beginning of January this year. They've been a huge blessing to Highway They have bought gifts to us from another church that they were relating to us that this body seriously needs. So I just want you to receive what she has to say to you. I read her amazing blog. I forwarded it to Steve, and I said, Leah's got a gift on her. And if she's as articulate as she is able to write, I think you're going to be incredibly blessed this morning. But I just want you to keep your hearts and your spirits open because sometimes when a person comes to you with a different slant on the Word of God, we're inclined to say, default, no, no, it can't be any other way. So let's just lift our hands, close our eyes, and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me through thee. in Jesus' name, I receive what you have for me, and I will make any adjustments that you demand of me for my life's betterment. In Jesus' name, keep your hands extended and say, Lee, we bless you. We bless you with the anointing that God has for you and that is on you, that it will come out of you, that it will flow out of you, and that you will be a blessing, that that you've prepared, that you're not meant to say would disappear out of your brain, that that you didn't prepare to say, that you should be saying, would come into your mind. Holy Spirit, just take control of this body, of this mind, and use it for the betterment, the blessing, and the growth of this body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Take it away, Lee. Thank you.
1: Okay. Um, I'm really excited about Friday, uh, and you'll see just now how it, it, it ties in. Uh, I'm just really so excited to see such a team of people coming together and giving their time, their skills, and their resources to celebrate. Uh, and I think it's just going to be such a, a joyous evening. Uh, the, the feeling I have is just celebrating God's faithfulness. And uh, God's faithfulness is a a theme that we'll see through uh, while I'm talking today. Uh, So if you're following in your Bible, uh, you'll see we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46, uh, the parable of the pearl of great price. Uh, But we're going to start with the one just before that, uh, because that's quite relevant to us today, and that's the parable of the hidden treasure, and they're right there next to each other. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, even if you don't know the usual interpretation of that scripture, I'm sure you'd guess that it's something along the lines of how we should diligently seek the kingdom, Uh, We need to seek Jesus. We need to seek salvation. uh, And when we find that thing we're looking for, we must be ready to sell everything we have, even give our whole lives to have that treasure. And that this pearl of great price, this is Jesus, and we need to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to keep him close. Have you really forsaken everything for the sake of the kingdom? Does your life reflect how valuable this pearl is to you? And I don't think these are bad questions to ask, but... I'd like to submit to you that maybe the common interpretation or the first obvious interpretation has things a little bit backwards. Humbly submit. (laughs) My understanding is that on the whole, sinners do not seek Jesus. On the whole. Jesus draws men to himself. He is the one who came to seek and save the lost. Maybe once we already know him, then we are inspired to go all in, that we give everything we have to, 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 uh, to just know him know him more because of the things that get in the way. Um, but he's the one who came to seek and save the lost. And in this parable, it seems that the, the men had something of value to give. So the two men, you've got the, the man who buys the field and the merchant who, who buys the pearl. But we have nothing of value to give, to contribute to our salvation. They were able to give a fair price for the field and for the pearl. That person wouldn't have given them a bargain on the pearl. Pearls are hard to come by. And so the as the story goes, he had something of value, something worth gaining that thing for. we have nothing, nothing 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 that could even come close to the tiniest dot of our salvation that that we could ever pay for. And Paul even states that in order to gain Christ, he had to consider everything else that gave him value as rubbish. And so that was how he gained Christ by considering everything else rubbish so We really have nothing, nothing, nothing to give. So what is the parable about? If I've just said it's not that, well then what is it? Uh, So I'm going to ask some of the questions from our our, uh, uh, discipleship course, some of the hermeneutics questions that we asked. And so we ask, who is speaking in this parable? Who are they speaking to? What is the context in the whole, uh, the verses and the chapters? And who's who's the man in these parables? Uh, What is the treasure? Why a pearl? And so in the context, well, if you have a Bible that has red letters, you'll know that it's Jesus speaking. He's the one saying the parables, and he loved using parables to uh, to demonstrate spiritual truth. And uh, in the context, he seems to be talking to the 12 disciples. So earlier on, it says he's talking to a huge crowd, and then they all leave. It's uh, so when he has the, the parable of the sower of the seed and the rocks and the sand and the dry out and all of those things. And then uh, it says they all went away, and he went aside with his disciples, and they asked him to explain it. And then this comes just after that. So from the text, it would seem that he's talking to the twelve. And uh, so in all of the parables just before this one, so if you're looking in, in, in Matthew, there's the sower of the seed, there's the baker of the bread, the planter of the mustard seed, the wise wheat farmer, all of the parables before that, uh, it's it's Jesus who's the main character. So it seems reasonable to assume that Jesus is the main character Uh, in in this parable as well. That it's Jesus who finds the treasure and it's Jesus who's the merchant who sells everything he has to acquire the pearl, not you and me. And so I think one of the keys to understanding uh, this slide is understanding Jesus as the protagonist, the main character. So then what's the treasure? All right, so we've said who's speaking, who are they speaking to? So what is the treasure that he's talking about? And in Exodus 19 verse 5, uh, we see God describing the Israelites, His people, uh, as His treasured possession. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And that word also sometimes is translated as peculiar people. Uh, peculiar, the old, the old translation or the old understanding of peculiar was my the special one that's just for me. Uh, so peculiar to me, my special people. And uh, in uh, Psalm 135 verse 4, says, for the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. That's where it's the same word there that's, that's translated. And so, just a tiny quick history lesson Jacob was renamed Israel. So, when it says, I've chosen Jacob, I've chosen Israel, he's talking about the same person. And Jacob had four wives, and between those four wives, well, he had two wives and their, their servants, uh, but yes. <laughs> and they had 12, 12 children altogether, and those became the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, and so when he says that uh, the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto Himself and Israel for His peculiar treasure, as often happens in the Bible, one person represents a group of people, and so this person represented the Jews. So essentially, what he's saying is that uh, the, the what we now know is that the Jewish nation are His peculiar treasure, and so I would propose that that is the treasure that is referred to in that that first parable. The the. Jesus' disciples were Jewish. They would have known those scriptures quite well. They would have known that they were the chosen people. And so when Jesus tells them a story about this guy and a treasure in a field, they would have understood that, yes, that's us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's us. That's okay. We, we understand. We know we are the chosen people. Um, but the pearl, on the other hand, that's, that's a whole different thing. And I love how Jesus does that. He gives them something familiar, the treasure in the field. Yes, yes, we know about the treasure. We're the treasure. It's okay. And then he says, a pearl. So, the term pearl doesn't actually appear anywhere in the Old Testament. There are some words that could be translated as pearl, like ruby. I think the one where it says uh, uh, wife of noble character, who can find she is far more precious than rubies. Uh, Some people say that could be translated as pearls, but it could also be red coral. It could mean a number of things. We really aren't sure. So, there's nothing in the Old Testament uh, about pearls. And there's a reason for that, uh, because... uh, What we know from pearls is that they come from oysters. If we're going to get technical, they come from bivalve mollusks. Biology lesson, history, biology, theology, we're doing all over here. (laughs) And so being mollusks, they would have been considered unclean, according to Jewish law. So in Leviticus 11, verse 9 to 12, Everything in the waters that has fins and scales you may eat, but anything that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. It's a very strong word detestable. It's not even just distasteful or not quite what we like, detestable. Yeah, not kosher. (laughs) You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall detest their carcasses. I don't even want it near me. It mustn't be in my house. It mustn't be anywhere. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales, in case you missed it the first, second, and third time, is detestable to you. (laughs) (laughs) We're not under law, it's okay. It doesn't matter. (laughs) So oysters, prawns, mussels, calamari, those all fall into the things that don't have fins and scales. So if you are a devout Jew, those things are detestable to you. And so they would have been detestable to the disciples. The Jews did realize, however, that pearls were valuable. So they, they, they could acknowledge that pearls were valuable and that they would have a high price in the marketplace. Uh, so, so that was that was an easy one, but they did have the undesirable trait of coming from an unclean animal. No Jew would be willing to harvest pearls. Detestable carcasses, unclean, would make them ceremonially unclean. It would just get in the way of everything, and so they would they would not be willing to harvest pearls. Especially considering they'd probably have to open a few thousand before they could get uh, a couple of pearls. And uh, if you remember the story of the prodigal son, where he was feeding the pigs. Uh, how that would have been totally detestable for a Jewish person to do as well. They could easily have made the same story about he became a pearl harvester. Uh, That was equivalent to how detestable it was. It was the lowest of the low thing that you could possibly do to be handling these detestable carcasses. At that time, most of the costly pearls came from regions outside of Israel. So you've got the the marker in the top left is where Jerusalem is and then the marker towards the bottom right is the Persian Gulf. And in Bible times, that was where pearls would have come from. And uh, just to the right of Jerusalem there, you can see some slight darkness. That is, that is a mountain range. And then there's a rather expansive desert between them. So in order to, to get pearls, uh, to actually even come in contact with pearls, there was a huge distance. Pearls were considered foreign as well. Not just unclean, but foreign. They were just not part of uh, the culture at the time and unclean. We'll get back there. So why would Jesus tell a bunch of first century Jewish men about a pearl? Uh, why would he tell them that heaven was like a merchant who sold everything he had to buy a pearl? You can imagine the Jews going, it's not, not knowing what to, what to make of it. Um, but if the treasure represents the Jews, and I'd like to propose that the pearl represents the Gentiles. And that anyone, anyone who's not a Jew is considered a Gentile. So I'm assuming that almost all of us here today would be considered Gentiles. Uh, and to the Jews, Gentiles were considered foreign and unclean. Uh, the, there was a prayer that Jewish men used to pray uh, where they, I'm paraphrasing, but thank you that I was not created a woman or a Gentile or a, I can't remember the other one, there you go. <laughs> and so uh, so they, it really was something foreign and unclean uh, I'm sure the disciples thought he was quite crazy, not that it was uncommon for them to think he was quite crazy, but in that moment I think they thought he was a bit off his rocker but what's interesting is that it's like he uses that to introduce something into his interaction with them, because a couple of chapters later there's the Canaanite woman, who would also have been considered foreign and unclean who comes in and approaches him and he, he, he almost banters with her a bit. Yes, but you know, how can the, the... Should I give the, the, the children's food to the dogs? And, and he, he plays with the, the stereotypes of the time, but he says, actually, this woman has faith. And so he, he's starting to give hints to his greater plan of including everyone in his salvation. And uh, also a bit later, he, the, the, the Pharisees are talking about how his disciples or how people hadn't washed their hands and that they were being defiled because they hadn't gone through the proper washing process and Jesus is saying to them, it's not what goes in that makes you unclean, but what comes out. And so Jesus is, 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 is breaking apart all of the very neat boxes about what's clean and what's unclean. And he's doing that here with the pearl as well. And so I propose, while Jesus is saying the Jews are his treasure, the Gentiles, that which the disciples would have considered foreign and unclean, that they, we are, you are, I am, we are the pearl of great price. <laughs> and to me, that's just amazing. <laughs> it's, Jesus gained this pearl by losing everything he had. Everything he had, he gave to gain this pearl. And if that offends you, I understand. I was offended by this as well. I really was, because uh, I was so wrapped up in my efforts to, to show how much I could sacrifice to gain this kingdom, to to have I given? Have I really given everything? Have I really done everything I should do to keep Jesus close? There's nothing else that I could give. I was so wrapped up in my efforts uh, to give everything I had to gain the kingdom. Um, the idea that He paid the ultimate price, making my efforts ineffective and pointless, was a bit offensive. But hallelujah! <laughs> because actually, all of my efforts are not even this much, not even this much in return for the incredible salvation that He has bought and paid for and given everything He has to provide for us. So... Agree with me that from the outside, an oyster shell is really not much to look at. (laughs) I I sometimes wonder about the first person who opened an oyster shell. (laughs) What were they thinking? (laughs) They must have been really, really hungry. (laughs) It's hard work to get an oyster shell open. It really is. There's special knives, and they've got to be strong, and you've got to be strong, and they cut your hands, you have to wear special gloves, and it's horrible, and it's messy, and you've got to have a really, really really good reason to open an oyster shell. Um, Yeah, (laughs) they must have been really hungry. (laughs) So we do have evidence that uh, other people in the ancient world ate ate oysters, Uh, not the Jews, but others. But can you imagine opening an oyster shell that maybe you got from the depths, because they had uh, the the, the divers who would go and dive for oysters, and and so they find these oysters, and, and Imagine the first one. I always wonder about the first one. Like the first person to eat a, a poisoned mushroom. How did they figure out which mushrooms are poisonous? But that's besides the point, sorry. <laughs> Has anybody else thought about that? <laughs> How did they know this the first time? I'm trusting God told them. Anyway, or they were only... Po- I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> the first time someone opened an oyster and there was a pearl inside. Can you imagine? I can just, I can just imagine like a candid camera kind of thing and someone going on earth to find this, this beautiful gem inside this horrible, horrible looking thing. Um, how? I mean, where's, the, where's my horrible one? There's my horrible one. To find this beautiful gem in there. Wow. <laughs> so, I can also imagine the first time a Jewish person saw a pearl and they found out where it came from, I can imagine they'd be like, God, what are you, what why? How could you bring such a beautiful thing from this horrible, unclean, detestable carcass? What I can just imagine them being just generally God, like, okay, all right. But here we are. And so it is with us too. <laughs> it took quite a while for the early church to to get into their heads that God's plan was for everyone and not just them. Even, with, even through Acts, we see this, this It's not just you guys. We know you're the chosen nation. You are the nation chosen to bring salvation as the vessel through which salvation will come to everybody. And that took a while. Uh, And so this this pearl parable to me uh, expresses that first step of Jesus showing his disciples actually it's for everyone, Uh, that I'm dying for everybody to include everybody in that. Uh, And it just blows my mind that here we are, The foreign and the unclean have been bought with his blood, purchased by the king for his very own, included in his chosen nation. Uh, Another point, the more you know about pearls, the better it gets. That's just what I love about this. I love how knowing biology and knowing a bit of geology and knowing history just enriches our understanding of of the revelation that God wants to bring for us. And so uh, what's incredible about an oyster is it comes... Out of a living creature. Now the only gems or, or semi-precious or precious stones that we get uh, that come from a living creature are pearls or amber. Amber is the fossilized tree resin. If you ever watched uh, Jurassic Park, they get the DNA out of the bit of amber, uh, and it's uh, yeah. So that's what the tree the tree secretes amber where there's an injury. So it also comes from suffering. But anyway, that's an extra an extra little bit of biology there for you. Uh, but with pearls. It's just so amazing that God can make something like a pearl out of a living creature. So the way a pearl is formed is that a a tiny bit of grit gets under the mantle. So between the shell and the squishy bit, a tiny bit of grit gets in there uh, and it's irritating. Like a label on the back of your shirt where you just kind of, there's nothing you can do to, to make it comfortable. And it just keeps itching and it makes a little sensitive spot. Now what the pearl does is it has this thing called nacre. And that's that uh, reflective stuff on the inside. And the, uh, the, what we would call mother of pearl, when you look and it has that beautiful, iridescent look to it, uh, that, what the pearl does is it's, uh, it grows by laying down layers of nacre. That's why those oysters uh, have those layers in them. Those are actually nacre from the outside that have been, that's been worn away. But the, the, it puts down these layers of nacre and that's how it grows and gets these layers. So what it does when uh, when it gets irritated, and this is just a spot you can see where the, the pearls are still or are stuck on the inside. They call these blister pearls. Uh, and it's in that piece of sand. It'll, it just puts a layer of nacre over it, and then it's still irritating. So it puts another layer on, and it's still irritating. It puts another layer on, and over the years, it takes about three years for uh, for cultivated pearls. It takes about three years to get a, a normal-sized pearl, and up to six years for for one of the bigger pearls. Uh, But over those years, it's just putting layer on layer on layer of this nacre, this beautiful translucent uh, layers on it. And until we get the pearl as we know it, so you get these blister pearls, that's just to show you how the layers uh, work, but you also obviously get the pearls that are separate. One of the beauties of the pearl is that we can't do anything to improve them. That's just amazing. We cannot add to our salvation. They cannot be improved. The diamond, it has to be mined from the ground. There's sweat and there's effort and there's machinery and there's pollution and there's all sorts of things that have to go into getting a diamond out of the ground. And once you've got it out of the ground, then the work starts. Then it's filing and it's it's using other diamonds to wear down this diamond to get a beautiful diamond. They require human intervention to be beautiful. But a pearl, it cannot be improved. And so it is with our salvation. It cannot be improved upon. We can do nothing to add to our salvation. We can add to our acceptance of our salvation. We can work out our salvation in the way of learning how to grow in our revelation of it. But there's nothing that we can do to add add to it. We cannot improve the luster and brilliance of a pearl. And we definitely can't reproduce it. (laughs) And it's just such a wonderful picture of our salvation. It is finished. It is done. It is just... Done, done, done. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) What I also love about pearls is that they are formed in the dark. At the bottom of the ocean, in, in this horrible little shell, in this mushy oyster flesh, they're in the dark. And they're normally quite deep. Darker than light generally reaches on the whole, as far as I know. And somebody's got to go and dive there and cut it out. And in order to get that pearl, the oyster generally, on the whole, dies. And this makes me think of, of our baptism and our, our salvation, that as we are baptized, we, we join Jesus in His death and, and we rise with Him. And it's like, that's, and it's like that, that's diving down to get that oyster and bringing it up again. And and it's in that dying of that that oyster that we are able to extract that pearl. In the same way that uh, Jesus died and rose uh, as that merchant. Jesus is everywhere. (laughs) He's the oyster, he's the merchant, he's all over. Uh, That beautiful pearl is revealed. And I can just imagine this. And it's pitch black. It's pitch black down there. It's in an oyster shell in the bottom of the sea. I don't know if it gets much darker than that. And it comes out. And the crazy thing is, genuinely radiant. The the crystals of a pearl are perfectly arranged so the light radiates out from the center. God is just amazing. (laughs) This thing that's formed in the bottom of the ocean in the dark. How is it that something formed in the dark can be made for light? We just thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that as you form us in darkness, as as you, you, you form us through death, we are made for light. We are made to radiate the light of our heavenly King. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. It's like God takes suffering, those little grains of sand, He takes that suffering, this tiny little bit of grit, a bit of bit of waste, a bit of irritation, maybe sin. And he coats it, and he coats it, and he coats it in layers of himself. Beautiful, translucent layers of himself. Glory upon glory. Layers of glory just He just keeps covering it, keeps covering it, layers of glory, until it is unrecognizable and wholly transformed. And that's what He does with each and every single one of us. He translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And He makes us in the darkness to radiate His glory. And we thank you. (laughs) And it's not even just about our salvation. He also takes the grit in our lives, the sand and the sin and the hurt and the irritation, and he covers those with layers of himself. I just had this picture of I was dealing with a bunch of stuff that was that was just irritating in the worst way, and I felt like I just took this this handful of sand and all these things that were bugging me, and I tucked them into this oyster and I said, Jesus, you take my sand, you take these things. You know, he says, put your cast your burdens on me, uh, and and so we I, I felt like me taking these sand and it's like and I in the picture I had him I had a picture of him giving pearls back. to And and it's just like he he takes our sin and our suffering and our, our weaknesses and those things that just don't sit right with him, and he covers them, and he covers them, and he covers them. And he just keeps adding glory upon glory, layer upon layer, until the glory outweighs the suffering by orders of magnitude, and it becomes a thing of great value and dignity. And that's what he does for us. He makes us into something of great value and dignity. And I feel like that's really relevant for us here at Highway, is, uh, is that I also felt like a connection, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, I'm making connections, too many connections here, but I'm, I'm just trying to, it's just the things that came into mind while I was, while I was meditating on this, it made me think of, of the parable of the fish and loaves as well, um, not the parable, sorry, I keep saying parable, the, the, the account of the fish and loaves. Uh, where, where they, they had, a, you know, a few fish and a few loaves, and, and they said, "Yeah, take, take this, this is what we've got. And Jesus multiplied that. Uh, and it's the same with those, those grits, the bit of sand, that we we bring what we've got. We bring our grits and our, our, our bits, uh, and, and Jesus takes them and makes something incredible out of them. And I feel like that's uh, such a, a great word for us here at Highway, that over the whole 30 years, people have brought what's in their hands. They've they've brought what they've got. They've brought who they are. They've done this thing. And over the years, I mean, if you imagine it takes two or three years to make a pearl this size, what size pearl are we getting on? 30 years. (laughs) It's just God takes glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. And and so often, maybe it seemed dark at times where we haven't seen the pearl that that God is making. And I'm so excited about Friday because it's really a time where it's almost like there's this uh, unveiling, and, and we'll, there's, there's people from before coming, and and there's people here who are the future of highway, and it's just all of these things coming together, and I feel like if you haven't seen it before, God is going to reveal that pearl of faithfulness. So many faithful people for so many years, for so many Sundays, so many Sundays, coming and bringing what they've got, and God just bringing His glory, meeting them with what with what they bring, meeting what they bring with His glory. And I just love how God does that. He meets what we bring with His glory.
2: Amen. Come on. That's really... uh, (laughs) How, how we got to the, the theme, the theme of, of the pearl was that a 30-year anniversary is a, is a pearl anniversary. And interestingly, it's falling on the 30th, which makes it a royal pearl, <laughs> apparently. But more, more than that, in a sense, is that for many of us, it's always been about what we have to sacrifice to earn the pearl of great price. Now, I like what Lee said. Jesus is all over the story. Jesus is central to everything. But when I read this and witnessed with me, because when you read parables like that through a mixture of law and grace, you always look for what you've got to do. When you read it through the new covenant, you always find out what he's done. That's why I loved uh, this, her blog, which you can download, I'm sure. Uh, on her blog, yeah. she wants to say one more yeah, thing. Yeah, I just want, to, I want to
1: pray. There's two, just two scriptures down from the thing about the pearl. It said, "The kingdom of heaven, which which is, it doesn't have its own title, the kingdom of heaven." So, therefore, uh, the kingdom is like a teacher of the law. Sorry, a teacher of the law who becomes a disciple of God is like the owner of a house who brings out new treasures as well of old, as well as old. And that's exactly what you're saying: is that is that. uh, you know, where, where we've looked at it under a difference and there's something, a new treasure as well as old, where a teacher of the law becomes a disciple of Christ, he brings out new treasures as well as old.
2: Let's stand up together. Um.